learned. I'm learning from Anmar. Welcome to Shake It and Disturbed, everyone. I'm Darren Carp, your daddy cat on the mic. Wicka wicka ow. And it's me, uh, Mama Bear. Oh, oh, oh. On the oh, mic. Oh. On the other mic. On the other um, mic. And today, as promised, we are tasting the Rockies, people. We are going <laughs> to do the full throttle here today. That's uh, right. We, we kind of just have to get right into it, John, because yeah, already, and let me just say, like, for those who guessed, yes, we are having course light today. Um, and John was already, oh, course light. John already was like, comes on, comes on the Zoom and he's like, very upset about mm-hmm. having to drink beer. So he's really sacrificing his own dignity for us today, John. So. Thank, thank you. you. No, thank you for saying that. I will say that when Megan um, sent us this initial research, she was like, obviously, the guy's name is Coors. You guys got to drink Coors. And Darren, I even right. texted you last night. I was like, by the way, don't forget, pick up your Coors Light before we start tomorrow, which I never, for some reason, I never remember to pick up drinks. Like I have people send me, I don't know about you, people send me recipes to drinks on Instagram on a daily basis. And I'm like, oh, I want to try that. For some reason, I cannot get it together. I don't know why. It's much easier to just grab a six-pack of beer than it is to be like, that's true. Truce and gin. Yeah. And it's harder that's to make true. a cocktail. You know, that was one of the it's good true. things about Matt, the bartender, is he kind of did that for us, which was always nice. And it's harder because we're not on Zoom. So it's hard to make a cocktail for just one. That's true. Um, should we pop our drinks? Have you already opened yours? I haven't opened mine yet. Um. Oh, you did. I got thirsty. I see um, that she has it. But um, let's just, uh, I'll do it with you, John. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, oh my God. You sounded almost exactly like the noise. Ooh, I'm going to taste the Rockies. I didn't even hear your fucking noise. You didn't? No. Oh. Great. Well, I'm pretty sure it recorded. I don't know. Maybe there's well, a mic. Well, cheers a to start yes, off. Yes, cheers. And cheers to you. And I'm going to take my first little sip. You don't have to take a little microdose Ugh. sip, right? Because you cannot Ugh. handle. Ugh. I hate beer so much. You really can't handle. Wait it. till we get. Do not skip ahead, but wait till we get to the listener shoutouts. There's something about Coors. Don't skip. I can already I'm tell not you're skipping. looking. I'm you're not looking. skipping. I'm not. One of our listeners messaged me over the weekend, and I can't wait to tell you what she said. It's about oh. Coors. I will say this is disgusting. I'm sorry. It's nothing against Coors. I just don't like beer. I never have. I never will. But for the yes. listeners, I will do it this week. Well, just take just take little sips, baby. Just take little, little sips. sips. Absolutely. Um, Darren, this is a great uh, segue, actually, because um, we need to talk about Lumi Microdose gummies. Okay, Are you so, enjoying yours, little microdose? Yes, and I don't think I'm ever going to get tired of talking about these things <laughs> because last week, even in the heat, just stressed. I just had a lot going on. Navy is yeah. leaving soon. I had a lot of projects. Mm. And I just kind of found myself, like, my brain... You ever get this show where, you're, like, your brain works stops, faster yes. than you? Or, like, because of a result of that, it kind of stops. Yes, it, like, short yes, yes. circuits or something. I don't yep. really know how to put it. So I was like, you know what? Let me just try. I'm going to do one little loomy. I'm going to microdose, see if that kind of calms me down but doesn't cloud me. And, of course... It did exactly what I wanted. Great. Tastes, it tastes beautiful. So it's like I actually had a few over the course of a little bit. I mean, yes, microdose, but you could take just one. It's just that I kind of wanted a little bit more power to what I yeah. was doing because I'm a frequent THC user. That's and right. so I just wanted a, a little a kick up. But I think for you, John, like we talked about last week, one would be totally fine. Um, and the good thing about these is like 
What I've also found, especially sometimes when I'm working from home, is like I don't take it just before bed. I'll take it when my work is done to kind of, Mm. I would say, unleash this other side of my work. If you and I are talking about a case or I kind of need to think clearly about it. And it calms me down without making me tired. And so I love that. I love them. I've started to get Nadine into them, and it's really, really great. I'm kind of sending them out to my friends just to try them, and I've gotten Same. great feedback. So I'm all about the microdose of Umi Gummies. Trust me. I love that. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Just the right amount of good. And Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code SHAKEN to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com, code SHAKEN. Darren, we are all microdosed up. We are Coors lighted up. We're ready to get into this week's Coors-related episode. On October 25th, 1928, Joseph Corbett Jr. was born in Seattle, Washington. Joseph, who was known to be an exceptionally bright child, had a very average upbringing. He had good parents, his father was a newspaper editor, and his mother was a homemaker. Joseph did well in school and by all accounts had a bright future ahead of him. And on June 7th, 1949, when it's weird to think about a time when my parents weren't born. Mm. I know, this like, is this an is older like, case for this sure. This is an older case. Uh, when Joseph was 21, his mother fell from a balcony and mm. died from the resulting injuries five days later, which... Oh dear. You know who Eric Clapton is, right? Yeah. Okay, so when his son died yeah. from the window and he wrote Tears in Heaven, like, I just always think about, like, that's got to be horrible to well, see. Like, that's just I can't be imagine. Hor- I, I, I can't even imagine that. I mean, there are so many horrific ways, you know, we hear about it every day in the news, but, like, viewing that, ugh, that would that would really haunt me. Well, speaking of which, that seemed to obviously break something in Joseph. Remember, he's 21 at the time. Mm-hmm. This at any age would affect them, so I'm not trying to use it as age, but he's 21. It caused him to kind of break. He he became extremely erratic after mm-hmm. his mother's death. And on December 21st, 1950, my dad was only four months old at the time. Just six months after his mother's passing, Joseph murdered a hitchhiker outside of San Francisco mm-hmm. by shooting him in the head. Joseph was arrested and pled guilty to second-degree murder. Seems almost like an open-and-shut case. Yeah, really, Um, it does. And on March 15th, 1951, he was sentenced to prison for five years to life. What a wide gap, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Why five years to life? I mean, that could be any sentence. Yeah, and the thing is, like, we don't have a lot of the details right now, but it's like, what is the situation here? What was the motive? Was this a situation of maybe self-defense turned wrong? You know, five years isn't really a long time for murder, obviously, but two life seems to indicate, like, you know, there's an issue here. And it's second-degree murder, okay? So, you know, not capital. But on August 1st, 1955, just a few years into his sentence, Joseph snuck out of his minimum security prison and escaped. Mm. He made his way to Denver and rented an apartment under the name Walter Osborne, where he lived for only a few days, seeming to know the authorities were on his trail. The police did indeed turn up at his apartment just days after he abandoned it, and they spoke to the landlord who described his short-lived tenant as a quiet man who had decided to leave town only after a few days in order to go to school in Boulder. And this is such a sign of the times too, right? Because, like, imagine trying to get an apartment now under another name. Like, at least in New York, and I'm sure a lot of other places. I have no idea how to do that. Like, how could you do do that? that? I feel like every once in a while we hear of these like, you know, cases in the media where people are getting away with things like this too. And I'm like, 
how are you doing that in 2022? Like, I have to give my blood type, a blood sample, you know, hair follicles. Yeah, right. They're exactly. On it's me. impossible. Well, later that same year, Joseph rented another apartment in Denver, once again under the name Walter Osborne, and found a job at the Benjamin Moore paint plant that's out there. After settling in uh, to his new home, Joseph began making a series of extremely suspicious purchases, which is very hard to say, by the way. Extremely suspicious purchases. Say that ten times. Extremely suspicious purchases. Yeah, Yeah, that's hard. It's like puffed. Right. That's right. Listen to NMR for that. Um, You know, one of those purchases was several guns through the mail, which is, of course, something you can do, which I find bizarre. And, ni- and even this was in, you know, the 50s or whatever. In 1959, Joseph ordered several pairs of leg irons, which I don't even know what those are, and three pairs of handcuffs, all spread out over multiple mail-order purchases. In I January, I know what those are. I'm going to look it yeah, up. Yeah, look those up. Make leg sense. irons. I don't know. In uh, January of 1960, Joseph bought a new car, a yellow 1951 Mercury. Did you find Leg out? irons are kind of like handcuffs on your feet. Oh, good. You know, when prisoners are shuffling through. Yeah, 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 I was thinking furniture. So I'm glad you cleared that up. Um, Ah. So uh, anyway, he bought a 1951 yellow Mercury. Adolf Coors III was the heir to an empire. His grandfather had started, Darren, the Coors Beer Brewery in 1873. (laughs) Let me take another sip if I don't. Yep. Microdose that. Oh. Oh, very slow. Oh, very okay. gross. Um, although he himself was allergic to beer, Adolf became president of the company, which he ran with his two brothers. I didn't know that interesting fact. Yeah, that is interesting. So in 1960, 44 year old Adolf was qu- known as a quiet, reserved family man. He'd been married for 20 years and was a good father to his four children. On February 9th, 1960, just before eight in the morning, Adolf left his home in Denver. He was on his way to his family's brewery in Golden, Colorado, roughly 12 miles away. Did you hear how I said that? Colorado. 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 It's the beer drinker in you. It's where you drink beer. I don't know why I said it like that. But uh, tragically, Adolf never made it to his destination. Around 11 a.m., his car was found idling and abandoned on a small bridge between uh, basically just two miles from his home. So... You know, it's a run-of-the-mill type of day for for this guy, but he never makes yep. it home. Investigators found blood at the scene and Adolf's glasses and baseball cap floating in the creek beneath the bridge. This detail was interesting to me when I read it because that indicates to me that whatever has happened here has been somewhat recent, right? Because if you see a, uh, a baseball hat and glasses kind of floating beneath the bridge... It means it hasn't floated far away. You know what I mean? It's somewhat recent. Right, or depending on how long it's been in the water for. But also, right. I'm kind of surprised that glasses wouldn't sink. I haven't, yeah, I was wondering, I'm like, do glasses float? I don't have glasses, so I don't know. But yeah, yeah Darren's looking it up. Well, Adolf was extremely nearsighted and always wore his glasses. So this was obviously a big red flag for investigators when they arrived at the scene. Uh, the Coors family immediately suspected kidnapping. After all, the family is obviously well-known, extremely wealthy. Adolf's father, Adolf's father, Adolf Coors II, immediately spoke to the press, stating, quote, I cannot be emotional about this. The crooks have something I want to buy, my son. The price is secondary. Mm. Which is a little callous. Yeah, it's an uh, interesting way to look at this, sure. 
I, but I understand not wanting to be emotional because you don't want to give the kidnappers, if he's kidnapped, they don't want to give anything you know, I, to them, any yeah. satisfaction. Yeah, totally. And I also think he's probably a businessman by nature, right? He's the heir to or creator, whatever, of this humongous, I'm sure, very popular at this time, you know, brewery. So maybe he's just thinking, I'm just going to look at this like I do any other thing and it's going to be business all business. Yeah. Right. And on February 10th, men are worse with their emotions, I would also say. And on February oh. 10th, Joseph... Oh. Uh, Joseph moved out oh. of his apartment and completely disappeared from town. Okay, so we're back to Joseph. Can't, he's disappeared. And the same day, authorities intercepted a letter at the local post office addressed to Adolf Third's wife, Mary. Now, inside the envelope was a ransom note stating that the family was to pay $500,000 for Adolf's return. According to the note, the money was to be gathered in small bills, and when the chorus had the money together, they were to place an advertisement for a tractor in the classified section of the Denver Post. They were to then wait for a call. The note included the additional instruction, quote, call the police or the FBI, he dies. Cooperate, he lives. It's very Batman. Very standard movie Mm -hmm. trope. Right. Four days later, the family placed an ad for the sale of a John Deere tractor and waited for the call. And over the next several weeks, Mary would receive dozens of fake ransom notes, but the family was never contacted by the real kidnapper. The police had very few leads. However, they did receive several tips about a bright yellow mercury that had been spotted in the area around the same time as Adolph's disappearance. Uh One witness even remembered part of the license plate, the letters AT and the numbers 62. Can I ask you something? Do you ever find yourself trying to memorize license plates just in case... I find myself, especially in New York, when I was like walking around a lot and like maybe there'd be like a a weird car go by and I don't know. I'm always like, remember this number, remember this number, remember this number. It's so weird. My first trip to Hawaii, I was like four or five and we rented a car with my family and my brother like remembered the license plate and we can still to this day, KKY254, we can still to this day. (laughs) Oh my God. Recognize the license plate. I have no idea why, but we used to just be like, our first rental car was like KKY254. It was so weird. I don't know why, but like you get it in your head and you get your brain going to remember this stuff. So I'm sure my mom's going to be like, it was KKY254. Yeah, your mom's already, I can hear her texting. My mom already knows. My mom knows. Well, using that information, investigators were able to pinpoint one potential suspect. A man named mm-hmm. Walter Osborne, who lived in Denver, worked in a paint factory and drove a yellow Mercury with a matching license plate. Huh. Now, remember, as of now, he does not, he's guilty until proven, or sorry, he's innocent until proven guilty. There we go. <laughs> so, you know, simply driving around the scene of something doesn't make you guilty by any means, right? It's, so it's sussy, though. It's it is sussy. sussy. Well, as police followed his this lead, they were able to obtain fingerprints from Walter's driver's license application. Using the fingerprints, they learned that Walter was actually 31-year-old Joseph Corbett, a convict who had escaped from prison in California five years earlier, which we had mentioned. On right. February 17th, the yellow mercury was found near Atlantic City. The vehicle had also been set on fire. Very cash. Okay. Just a burning vehicle. It Nothing happens. to see here. Yeah. Police were able to match the serial numbers and confirm that the car had belonged to this Walter Osborne. On March 30th, 1960, the FBI placed Joseph Corbett on its top 10 most wanted list. However, as months went by, authorities were unable to find any sign of either Joseph or Adolf. Remember, Adolf's Mm. belongings were found, but his body was not found. 
On September 11, 1960, a pizza delivery driver ventured out to the Rocky Mountain foothills of... Um, oh. Did you just hear my Alexa? No. Stop. It was I like, did hear like a... I'm so sorry. I'm going to keep this in the episode, but it was like, do you want to know in the morning or in the evening? Uh, what? Yeah. It just said that. Okay, keep it okay. in the episode. Okay. Okay. K. Joseph, K. Adolf, we got it. I don't know what I don't. That just gave me full body chills. Let me try to like reset myself. Okay, guys, here we go. Okay. Yeah. On September 11th, 1960, a pizza delivery driver ventured out to the Rocky Mountain foothills of Denver to practice shooting targets. Which okay, that happens. Nothing okay. out of the ordinary, really. Well, while he was there, he discovered a pair of pants containing a label that read expressly for Mr. A. Coors the Third. Now that's proper. If there's anything sussy, this is it, right? Expressly for Mr. Acorns the third. Yeah, like, very. Yeah. That's proper. Well, that's in posh. the it's very proper and posh. Yes, it is very. Don't get me started on my British accent because I grew I up know. on Spice Girls and Harry Potter. So. Girl. Girl. But anyway, inside the pants pocket was a pen knife inscribed with the initials AC3. The delivery driver called the police, who arrived immediately to search the area. Let me say something. I'm just realizing this. I was making a TikTok uh, uh, months ago. Was it last yeah. summer? It might have been last summer now. And I was just making jokes. You can go on my TikTok and watch it. And it was like, I don't know. This ravine looks kind of sussy. Or like, you know, those rocks look like a good place to hide a body. I don't know. I was bored on a bike ride. But then I'm leaving. And there were a pair of pants in the middle of this, in the middle of the woods. And I, and I made a joke about it at the time. I was like, these jeans are not mine. Extra sussy. But I'm like, wait a minute. Whose jeans are just like laying on the side of a, of a path? Do you think it's weird? And who were they expressly for? I do think it's weird. I mean, I you know, people leave stuff, especially if you're camping. Like that happens. But I would say like, it's. I, I always am like curious when I find like one shoe. That's what I mean. It was literally just a pair of jeans. Right. Like I'm going to send it to you a, after this. Hmm. So you can look at no, it. No, please tell do. Me. Actually, yeah. please do. Well, nonetheless, um, nearby after the investigators show up, they immediately search the area. Nearby, investigators discovered human remains of a man who appeared to be approximately six feet one inches. Dental records were used to confirm that what you might expect that the remains belonged to Adolf Kors. He had been mm. shot in the back twice at close range. Joseph was, of course, now a prime suspect in Adolf's murder. Um, the police spread his picture throughout media, as well as printing and distributing thousands of posters stating he was wanted by the FBI. Um, on October 25th, 1960, the FBI was able to trace Joseph to Toronto, Canada. Now, Darren, you're uh -oh. on your way to Montreal soon. I'm there um, right now if you're listening to this episode. That's right. So, so be on the lookout. Where he was once again using the name Walter Osborne and driving this time a bright red Pontiac. Also, but, like, him with the yellow and the red cars, choose something that's, like, less flashy. That's true. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Especially a Pontiac. Those cars are typically, right. you know, more sporty like looking. Yeah, they're yeah. going to get pulled over. A bright red Pontiac? <laughs> like, you're asking for it, dude. What an idiot. Well, when authorities showed up at Joseph's new apartment in Toronto, he gave himself up right away, stating only, quote, I'm your man, when he opened the door to police. So Isn't it weird? Like, it makes me kind of frustrated because I'm like, God, like the answer is just behind a door. 
You know what I mean? And it's like all it takes is the right kind of investigation. And sometimes you're going to get I'm your man, you know, and it can resolve these problems. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad that at least like there wasn't, you know, no violence happened during the yeah, this guy outside of people he killed. But yeah, there does seem to be even like if you're just going to give it up so easily, like why are you? Doing why, this yeah. Why even place? do it? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, Joseph was arrested in Vancouver for Adolf's murder and was extradited back to Colorado. Joseph refused to speak to police beyond that single statement. He maintained his innocence but refused to provide an alibi. What's so weird, hmm. though, because he's like, he's like maintaining his innocence, but he's also like, I'm your man. Right. That doesn't make any sense. Like, wouldn't you be like, <laughs> why are you here, why police are you? Yeah. sirs? Well, on March 13th, Joseph's murder trial began, and although there was no physical or eyewitness evidence that Joseph had abducted or murdered Adolf, the prosecution had a strong case based on circumstantial evidence, which is, you know, has a place in the court system, but isn't necessarily, you know. The prosecution team called Joseph's co-workers to testify they had constantly boasted about a big plan he was working on that would net him a million dollars or more. Forensic analysts were called to testify that the ransom note had been drafted on the same sort of typewriter Joseph Ooh. owned. Again, circumstantial, not proof, but circumstantial. I also love that it's very murder she wrote on the yeah, typewriter ve- with the paper used. Give me Angela Lansbury, right? people. I'm Thank ready. You. Thank you. Well, a store clerk recalled Joseph purchasing the same brand of paper that had been used to write that note. Oh, my Angela. goodness. And by far the strongest evidence against Joseph was the unburned skeleton of his yellow mercury. The the undercarriage of his car contained specimens of dirt and debris matching those from the Atlantic City dump site, the site where Adolf's remains had been found, and the roads near the Coors family's home. Interesting. Geographic, you know, geology being used here. Yeah, it's just interesting that you can sort of match dirt and debris from a certain area. Joseph's trial lasted two weeks, and he did not testify on his own behalf. On March 29th, 1961, the jury returned a verdict of guilty, which carried an automatic life sentence. Joseph, however, was a model prisoner, and on June 15th, 1978, 16 years essentially into his sentence, he was released on parole, and the community was very upset with the decision on the court's part. But he's a model prisoner, so maybe he's turned a new leaf. Maybe. Well, on July 6th, after a significant amount of that public outcry, the court chose to revoke Joseph's parole, which I don't know if I've ever heard of that. I really don't know if I've ever heard that. Yeah, that's a very unique detail that I don't know that I've ever said on on any of our shows. Just one year later, on July 5th, 1979, Joseph was granted parole once again on the condition that he never set foot in the state of Colorado again. Oh, good. Just make it another state's problem. Another state's problem. That's fine. As long as he's not, like, killing and raping in Colorado. Right. Then everything is good. Yeah. Well, after being set free, Joseph immediately left Colorado. He flew to California on July 10th, but flew back to Colorado just one day later on July 11th to close his bank account. I mean, I'm sorry, oh but my like, God. Jesus. So after closing the account, Joseph flew back to California, and on July 15th, Joseph was rearrested. Uh, for breaking the condition of his parole, which I is mean, like, Lord, come on. Lord, I mean, I know they don't have online banking, but like, dude. <laughs> right, that's true. Jesus, call them. But also, like, what is the urgency of having to close the bank account? Especially when you've been told if you violate your parole, you're going to be arrested again. Well, you got to wonder, don't well, like you? Like we said earlier, 
He's not very yeah. smart. On July 31st, Joseph's parole was revoked yet again, and he was sent back to prison. On December 12th, 1980, Joseph was paroled for a third time. And this time he was able to keep his head down and follow all the stipulations of his release. And after regaining his freedom, Joseph settled in Denver yet again, which I'm assuming is because he would... Different parole orders, maybe, right. potentially. Maybe he was... Right, exactly. Whatever the yeah. parameters were for that. Yeah. And from where uh, in Denver, he worked as a truck driver for the Salvation Army and lived a quiet, secluded life. And on December 12th, 1985, he was released from court supervision and was declared a completely free man. Wow. In 1996, Joseph granted the Denver Post an interview. In the interview, he stated... Uh, complete innocence in the Coors kidnapping. He claimed the FBI had framed him and all he wanted now was to live out the rest of his life alone and in peace. In 2009, Joseph was diagnosed with cancer and on August 24th, 2009, um, 80-year-old Joseph was discovered in the Denver apartment where he had spent the past 30 years in almost total isolation. He had actually taken his own life with a gunshot wound to his head. Um, Joseph had not left a suicide note and had no family or friends to even claim his body. So, you know, nonetheless, it's a tragic waste of human life in a lot of ways here. I mean, even if you believe him or, or, or not, you know, it's just a really sad story all around. You know, it is really sad. I mean, the whole thing is very sad of like, obviously them thinking that, you know, you could kill and capture someone and you're going to get a million dollars. Right. Obviously, this had something to do with a little bit of his mother, but it also kind of sounds like, though, that he had the opportunity at least to live some sort of normal life. Like That's true, yeah. He had been given kind of multiple chances. He could have gotten out even sooner, uh, and then he fucked <laughs> right. that up. You know, and, and <laughs> I hate to say it, but, like, without the pants being found, you know, it just seemed like... Of all the details, yeah, you don't yeah. forget to take the pair of pants. Like it's almost, it almost seems like he could have gotten away with it if not for maybe his own ego. So, right. um, you know, just sad in and of itself of like a it life is. that was that that life that could have been lived differently. Maybe so. I agree with you there. Well, let us know what you thought about this week's episode. Did you crack open a course? A Coors beer with us as well. Hit us up at J Thrash. I don't know why I said it that a way. A Coors heavy. A Coors yeah. thing. Uh, at Jay Thrasher, at Carpe Darren. Um, you can hit us up in our Facebook group, our Patreon. We are everywhere. Darren, yeah. um, let's get into some listener shout-outs as we wrap up the episode. Reading these for the first time now, Tegan in our <laughs> Facebook group was one step ahead of us when we teased this week's episode on last week's show saying, are we drinking Coors and talking about the Coors disappearance Sunday? If we are, I clearly have a head start, LOL, and posting a picture of a Coors <laughs> can. You're tasting the Rockies, baby. That's I love right. it, Tegan. And I have to give a shout out to our friend Mary on Instagram who messaged me, Darren. I don't know if you're aware of this. Something tells me you are aware of this. But she said, I am. She, she messaged, I know you would. She messaged me and she said, make sure that those mountains are blue. And I just wrote back, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what that means. And she then wrote me back and she said, quote, if the mountains on the label of the Coors drink are blue instead of silver, your Coors is the perfect temperature to drink. It- 
cools with it. Yes, that's right, my love. Yeah. I, I had no idea. So you're saying the actual, I should have looked at my, my cans probably. Yeah, so it's like a silver can, so if yeah. it's warm when you're getting it. I mean, it's probably warm now, how you're looking at it, which is why it's True. not blue. True, But if the ones that, I'm sure you put it in the fridge, the ones that are in the fridge, I'm sure will have blue and you'll see the difference. And it's wow, I had no perfect idea. time to taste the Rockies, my friend. Perfect it's like time. a mood ring, but beer. Something yeah. like that. Something yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, that works. And the mood yeah. is, am I drinkable or not? That's the mood. <laughs> well, the bad news is I will never have another Coors drink unless we do this episode sometime in our future. So You're not going to taste guys. the Rockies any time nope, I've had soon. enough. I yeah. Imagine I got that parole order. I'm not going back to the Rockies. I want nothing to do with it. I'm going to hold in. I'm going to hold up my end of that bargain. But if your parole, if condition of your parole was to drink a Coors every day... Take me to jail? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I guess you I would not. Do it. I could yeah. not do that. I literally I could not do that. I really can't do that. Um. Anyway, you know. I got a lot of DMs about, you know, our Coors drink and stuff. So thank you, everybody, who's uh, engaging with us about the and show. And thank you for making John an educational beer drinker, guys. Uh, <laughs> and for those who don't know, we have merch. And maybe one of those merch items will say we made John an educational beer drinker. That's for the future. That's... Uh, but if you want your own t-shirt, hoodie, pillow, notebook, tote, whatever you want, just click the link in our merch store in the show notes of this episode. Make sure to tag us on social, of course, when you've received it, because we love to repost. We love to give you a lot of love. Especially on Instagram, by the way. Like, a lot of you guys send me the photo, but if you, like, post it on your story and tag us in it, like, I'll That's share it. That's the best way. Yeah, That's I'll the best share way it. That's the best way. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and of course, the best way to support the show directly is by signing up to become a Patreon subscriber. You can get bonus episodes like our NMRs, discount codes for merch, and much, much more as for as little as $5 a month. We're also posting behind the scenes photos. Sometimes we've got screenshots of our hilarious text messaging. Um, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Caption contests from our recordings, which oh, you'll yeah. get a shout out. Yeah. Oh, Lots yeah. Of fun. It's also even cheaper if you sign up annually. So think $5 a month, but even cheaper. It's pretty great. So thank you to anybody who's already become a Patreon subscriber, and we hope to have more of you joining us soon. And please, uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe if you can. That really helps us get a scene, and it would be always very beneficial for us if you could do that, especially if you like the show. If you don't, don't worry about rating or reviewing or subscribing. And you know what? Don't even listen to you us know what? anymore. Just don't listen to us. Yeah. The worst. But of course, we can't leave without saying a big thank you to the. I want to. Okay, Incomparable. we got Daddy Cat. No, we got Daddy Cat. We oh. got Mama Bear. What is she like? An auntie. Something very odd. Aardvark. Auntie Aardvark, Megan, yeah. Okay, yeah, Auntie Aardvark, Megan, will change every <laughs> week. Uh, let's say thank you to her. One, two, three. Thank you, Megan. Thanks, thanks. thanks oh. Megan. Thanks, Megan. Guys, we love you. If you sent me Montreal Rex, we recorded this a few days early before I left. Thank you in advance for that. We really appreciate it. And we will be back next week with an all-new NMR and an all-new case. Love it. See you next time. Bye. Bye.